And so we, we're going to look at the evil work of the chief priest and the elders. We're just primarily going to work out of the Gospel of Matthew. So I want us to see this injustice that was committed against Jesus. But Jesus knew in his heart this was the will of God. And Jesus knew why he was suffering. It wasn't just because it was a miscarriage of justice on the part of these chief priests and elders who were scheming and conniving to get rid of him because they were jealous and envious. It was a greater purpose at work. But I believe this uh, can help us to appreciate more what Jesus went through for us as we think about the injustice that he suffered. And then there's a couple of verses I want to look at elsewhere in the New Testament when we get to the end. So let's sort of follow um, the storyline of these evil workers and what they're up to as they plot to get rid of Jesus. So number one is simply they conspired against Jesus. So let's start in chapter 12, um, and then we'll eventually just get to 26 and 27. But let's start in chapter 12 for a moment. To notice that how even early on in the ministry of Jesus, these, uh, some of these Pharisees, these scribes, these elders, these chief priests, these religious leaders didn't like Jesus. Jesus came along and he upset the apple cart. He healed on the Sabbath and they got all upset with him because they thought they supposed he was breaking the Sabbath because Jesus didn't uphold their traditions. But Jesus challenged them, why can't you do good on the Sabbath? And even said, look, I'm Lord over the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath. What do you mean you can't tell me to do good on the Sabbath? So let's start in chapter 12. Notice chapter 12, verse 14. We read these words. Then the Pharisees went out and took counsel against him, against Jesus, how they might destroy him. Imagine that. They want to kill him. Just because Jesus goes against their, their rules and their regulations about keeping the Sabbath. So they're conspiring. They're talking to one another. They're plotting. They're scheming against Jesus. Now go to chapter 21. We read similar words here in chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 46. <coughs> chapter 21, verse 46. Yeah, Gospel of Matthew, yeah. Uh, Chapter uh, 21, verse 46. But when they sought to lay hands on Jesus, they feared the multitudes, because they, that is the multitude, the general populace, took Jesus for a prophet. So they were ready to lay their hands on Jesus right then and there and try to drag him away and see what they could do to get him executed. But they had to back off. Because Jesus was very highly esteemed among the people, so they had to be careful. Uh, They didn't invoke the wrath or incite the wrath of the people. Now go to chapter 26. Chapter 26, uh, verses 4 and 5. Chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. We're talking about the chief priest here and the scribes and the elders of the people. Um. Or even look at verse 3, chapter 26, verse 3. Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people, they assembled at the place of the high priest who was called Caiaphas. And what did they do? And they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. So you see how they're scheming and they're plotting. They they just can't stand Jesus. And they, they, they just want to get rid of Jesus. Now we come to verse 14. 
Uh, we read about Judas here, then one of the twelve, uh, same chapter, chapter 26, verse 14, then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me for me to deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, uh, Judas sought opportunity to betray him. And of course, we know that that's going to occur in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is there praying with his disciples, and then uh, Judas is going to come with a band uh, of, of soldiers and encounter Jesus there, and then Jesus will be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now let's go to chapter 26, and let's notice uh, verse uh, 40, 40 uh, well, 26, what do we have here? 26. And verse 57, that's correct. So now they've conspired against Jesus. Now they've arrested Jesus. And they've taken Jesus uh, into the part of the temple where the chief priests and the scribes tend to meet. And they are going to start trying to find some, some testimony and some witness against Jesus. They, and so look, this is interesting here. So we're in chapter 26 now, verse 57. Uh, Chapter 26, verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. I would assume this would be, say, in the temple area, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. In other words, Peter wanted to see the outcome. What is going to happen to Jesus? And he's following from a distance. Now verse 59. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council, that would be the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, typically made up of 70 people. But I don't know if there's 70 men there, because don't forget, this is happening very quickly. They probably didn't have time to go assemble the full the full 70 members of the Jewish uh, high court. So this may be a, a limited number of people. We're not really sure. But the chief priests are there, the elders. They would represent community leaders and judges, all the council. And what did they do? They're seeking false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. They don't care about the truth. They're not looking for truth. They're not looking for accurate, honest representation. They're not trying to be fair to Jesus. They just want to kill him. So verse 60, but they found none. They couldn't find false testimony. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. If I'm not mistaken, when Jesus uttered something to this effect, he was speaking about his body. He he would allow the the temple of his body to be destroyed and he could raise it up again in three days. He wasn't talking about the Jewish temple at all. So they finally got two witnesses to come along and say, yeah, we heard Jesus say this. We heard Jesus say something to that effect. So then in verse 62, and the high priest rose up and said to Jesus, do you not answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? And of course, the high priest is marveling that Jesus is being quiet. Now, didn't we read that back in Isaiah 53? Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Lambs don't say a whole lot. They don't even know what's happening. They're just very innocently slaughtered. And that's how Jesus is here, just quiet. He's not saying much unless he specifically asked and and really uh, required to say something. So verse 63, here comes the big question. Here's what you might say, the million dollar question. But Jesus kept silent and the high priest answered and said to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Here's an opportunity now for Jesus to speak. And notice that Jesus doesn't keep quiet now. He speaks. 
and he tells them the truth. He could have, I suppose, kept quiet. He could have denied the truth of who he was to save his life, but he didn't. He knew he was there to make that final offering and sacrifice for sin. He knew what was coming. And I can imagine that might have been very difficult in his humanity to to think about all this. But this is what Jesus said. Verse 64, Jesus said to him, It is as you said. In other words, you have spoken correctly. You're right. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I am the Mashiach. I am the Lord's anointed, the one promised to come into this world to bring deliverance to God's people. I am the Son of God. I'm the ruler appointed for this world. I am, and of course the Jews understood the title Son of God to mean that Jesus would be claiming equality with God. So I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am equal with God. So Jesus says in verse 64, it is as you said. Nevertheless, there's something else you need to know that probably hasn't even occurred to you people here, that the Jewish high priest and the chief priest and the elders and the, and, and the council. Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man. Now that's an interesting title. That comes from Daniel uh, chapter 7. And that's a, a t- one of the titles of Jesus the Messiah. Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting... Where? At the right hand of the throne of God. You're going to see the Son of Man. You're going to see Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, sitting on the throne with God. Now, what do you think Jesus is saying to these people? Yeah, I have all the honor and the dignity and majesty of God. I am worthy. I am entitled to sit at God's right hand. I am entitled to this highest place of honor in the whole universe. Um, you don't need to turn there, but just let me just go back to Daniel Daniel 7 for just a moment, um, just to read that, that text about Jesus being the Son of Man. Let me get there real quick here. Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Daniel has this uh, vision in the night, and uh, he sees uh, God depicted as the Ancient of Days, the Eternal One. And this is what we read in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel says, I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was like uh, white as snow, and the hair of his head was uh, as pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels uh, a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. So we have this, this vision of God Almighty seated on his throne in heaven. Now what happens? A few verses down, verse 13. So Daniel says in his dream here, I was watching in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him, to Jesus, to the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. So there is that uh, messianic vision where Jesus is presented as the Son of Man. He receives authority from God who sits on the throne to be the ruler over the entire world and have a kingdom that will never, never end. So Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. You're going to see me situated at the right hand of God Almighty, having the highest place of honor in the universe. And furthermore, you're going to see me coming in the clouds of heaven. You're going to see me returning in triumph and in glory. This verse, Jesus describes his honor. He describes his dignity. He describes his triumph. He describes himself as being invincible. He describes himself as being on the plane of equality with God. 
Uh, back in chapter uh, 24, chapter 24, Jesus says in verse 29, He says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. In other words, Jesus will come back. He's referring to a second coming. That all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I don't think the high priest expected to hear Jesus say that. They probably just expected Jesus to say, you're right, I am the Messiah, I'm the Son of God. And with that, they would have accused him of blasphemy. But Jesus takes the opportunity to really lay out before them something that they could not possibly, they couldn't possibly imagine that the Messiah would be a person who's going to sit at the right hand of God and come back and to rule and reign in this world as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, how do these people take it all? I'm going to a third point. Well, they accuse Jesus of blasphemy. So let's read on now in our story. Point number three here. Let's see how they, let's see how they take all of this. And they don't take it too well. So verse 65. Then the high priest tore his clothes. He just ripped his clothes, which is a sign of, of, of grief and, and great sorrow, perhaps even of anger and disgust. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. Now what's blasphemy? It's to speak with irreverence and contempt for God or sacred things. It's slander or lies or false things spoken against God. Slander that's directed at God. Now if Jesus truly is the Messiah, the Son of God, if Jesus truly is the Son of Man and He will return in the clouds of heaven after being situated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, if all of that's true... Jesus didn't speak anything disrespectful against God. In other words, if if everything Jesus said is true, Jesus is not guilty of blasphemy at all. But because these religious leaders, the high priest, the chief priest, the elders, the scribes and Pharisees that are there, because they think Jesus is lying and they think that Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah, the Son of God or the Son of Man, they suppose that he has spoken blasphemy. But how do they know Jesus isn't right? I mean, after all, Jesus did a lot of miracles. Jesus came doing God-like things. What if they're wrong? In any event, they say, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Forget about witnesses. Look, now we have heard His blasphemy. In other words, we have heard Jesus say something. Now, notice that this, uh, this gathering of the high priest, the chief priest, the elders, the scribes, and so forth, notice that they want to go kill Jesus based on his words. Uh, we, as far as I know, we normally don't we, don't, we don't execute people in this country for what they say. Oh, they might be dragged into court for libel and speaking lies, and there might be some ramifications and you know, misrepresentation and so forth and so on, but under most, most laws, people are not killed for what they say. And you remember when Jesus finally gets before Pontius Pilate? Pilate's having a difficult time with all of this because Pilate's going to say, well, I don't care what he said, I don't care even what he claims to be. I want to know what evil has he done. So you see the difference? The Jews want to kill him because of what Jesus says. The Romans are saying, no, 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 no. I want to know what evil has he done. So there's a difference there. So then uh, the high priest says to the crowd that's gathered there before him in verse 66, what do you think? They answered and said, he is deserving of death. 
Verse 67, then they spat on his face and beat him and others struck him with the palms of their hands, saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? So now they're making fun of him for being a self-proclaimed Messiah. So, what are they going to do now? What's their next step? Verse, uh, point number four here. They, they're going to bring Jesus to the governor because they don't have the authority to kill anybody. The Romans took away that authority. So if they want Jesus executed, they have to go to the Roman authorities and they have to try to convince the Roman authorities, namely Pilate, the governor, that Jesus is worthy of death. So now notice uh, uh, chapter 27. Let's move on to chapter 27. Chapter 27. So when morning came, that's interesting. So all of this charade, all of this charade was happening during the night. They arrested Jesus at night. They had like this little little secret meeting, this little sort of closed door meeting with, with, with a small number of people there at night before the high priest. Uh, they didn't wait uh, for a few days and say, look, we're going to have a trial against Jesus, so uh, all, of, all of you members of the Sanhedrin, come on down to Jerusalem now, make sure you're there. Uh, they didn't announce it well in advance. They didn't give people plenty of time to gather. They didn't give Jesus a fair trial. They just dragged him in hell-bent on making sure he was crucified. That's what they want. So now go to chapter 27. So when morning came, uh, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel. In other words, they were plotting, they were scheming, they were conniving, they were talking. They were trying to figure out what they could do against Jesus and put him to death. So then they had him bound, they tied him up, and they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. You know, Pilate had many people executed. Pilate had no qualms about having people crucified if he felt they were worthy and deserving of death. But let's read on now. Let's go to uh, uh, verse 11, chapter 27, verse 11. I meant to do a little research to find out exactly how many people were probably crucified under Pilate, just to make the point. Now, verse 11, chapter 27, verse 11. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, well, are you the king of the Jews? And that's what, I suppose, the the scribes and the elders and members of the council were accusing Jesus of claiming to be the Messiah. And that's not to say something different. If Jesus is claiming to, to be the Messiah, Jesus is also claiming to be the rightful king for the Jews. So that's the question posed by Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus said to him, it is as you say. In other words, you're right, you're correct. Uh, Verse 12, and while he was being accused, while Jesus was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. He didn't say anything. Notice how Jesus is keeping quiet. He doesn't say much at all in fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet. Uh, Verse 13, then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he answered him not a word, so that the governor marveled greatly. I would imagine Pontius Pilate never saw a criminal like this. Or I shouldn't say a criminal, but uh, one who was alleged to be a criminal. Jesus is being accused of doing something wrong or violating the religious beliefs of the, of, of the Jewish leaders. And Pilate probably not, never saw someone who was accused of, of, of being a criminal act this way. Because probably most would be out trying to defend themselves. But Jesus isn't trying to defend himself. He just simply speaks the truth. So now what's going to happen is uh, we're going to find out that these people are... Pilate's going to give the real reason why, why Jesus is there. This is interesting. Uh, we have a little insight as to Pilate's taken this. So point number five here. The, the Jewish leaders, they were envious of Jesus. So let's read on. Verse 15. 
chapter 27, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was uh, accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. So this is something that developed over the years. Uh, Every uh, uh, feast, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread that leads up to Passover, um, I suppose the Jewish governor wanted to uh, extend an overture of goodwill to the Jewish people. So to sort of do him a favor, sort of smooth over relations and tensions uh, between the Jewish the, the Jewish people and, and the Roman authorities, uh, um, the governor was accustomed to releasing one prisoner. Whatever prisoner the Jews wanted released, uh, the governor would do him a favor. So verse 16, so they had one notorious prisoner there called Barabbas. Now this, this uh, Matthew tells us he's a notorious prisoner. In other words, he had quite a reputation. He probably had a you know, a long streak of crimes that he had committed. Uh, Mark and Luke tell us that Barabbas was an insurrectionist and a murderer. In other words, as an insurrectionist, he was trying to stir up a rebellion and a revolt against the Romans. By the way, the Romans didn't take too kindly to that. And he was also a murderer. He killed people. We don't know how many. He's just called an insurrectionist and a murderer. In the Gospel of John... Barabbas is referred to as a robber. So we might ask ourselves, which is correct? They're all correct. He is a notorious criminal. He is an insurrectionist trying to plot and and overthrow the Romans, uh, stirring up trouble. He's a murderer and he's a robber. That's Barabbas. Now Pilate says something here. Verse 17. Therefore they had gathered together. Pilate said to them, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who was called the Christ. Now, verse 18, here's the little uh, insight from, from Pilate. For Pilate knew that because of envy, they had delivered Jesus. Pilate knew that these leaders delivered Jesus to him because they were envious and jealous of Jesus. So Pilate must have got some word about this Jesus who was going around doing a lot of good things and healing people and doing miracles and teaching about the kingdom of God. And he must have heard that, boy, Jesus is popular with the people. The people really like Jesus. And Pilate knew the envy and the jealousy. These leaders were afraid that if Jesus keeps getting more and more popular and keeps winning over more and more people, they're afraid of what might happen. They're going to lose their positions. They're going to lose their power. So there's probably fear going on as well as envy. Envy. Boy, envy is evil. Envy is the work of the devil. So it's out of envy that uh, Jesus is there. In spite of all the pretense of these religious leaders, you know, they're putting on this big act. Oh, we've heard Jesus speak blasphemy. He's claiming to be the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's claiming to have the right and the honor to sit at the right hand of God, and, and he's going to be coming in the clouds of heaven to rule and reign in this world as the King of Kings. In spite of their, their, their concern that Jesus has spoke something that's religiously reprehensible to them, in spite of all this charade that they're going against Jesus because of his religious views and his religious beliefs, No, no, no. The bottom line is they were envious of Jesus. They were just envious. They were envious at what he could do. They were envious at his teaching. They were envious at his popularity with the people. And they didn't like it. They were afraid of losing their power and their position. So the next thing that happens is uh, they're going to incite the people to ask for Barabbas. 
So notice verse 19 now. Let's keep moving on here. Verse 19. So while Jesus, uh, while Pilate, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Even Pilate's own wife must have had some sort of dream in which she, she, God worked to, to, to make her understand that Jesus is just and righteous. She says, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Maybe she had some very uh, uh, unnerving and unsettling dreams in which she got a sense that this Jesus is someone special. And her husband, Pontius Pilate, really, really has got to be very careful what, what he does. That's amazing how God even works in the wife of, of this uh, governor. Verse 20 now, But the chief priest and the elders persuaded, they persuaded the multitudes, they were inciting the multitudes, they were stirring up the multitude, that they should ask for Barabbas to be released, and Jesus to be destroyed. Boy, they're really determined to get rid of Jesus, aren't they? So now verse 21, let's see how the governor handles all this. Uh, the governor asked and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And of course the governor's hoping to say that, oh, oh, oh release Jesus. You know, just, just let Jesus go. And, and I, I don't think the governor would have any qualms about sending Barabbas to his execution. Because he knew all the crimes that Barabbas had committed. So the governor's hoping for Jesus to be released. But what did the crowd say in verse 21? No, they said, no, release Barabbas. So Pilate says, well, well, well then what, what shall I do with Jesus who was called the Christ? He, he probably couldn't imagine that they'd want him crucified. So they all said to him, well, let him be crucified. Verse 23, and then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? See what the governor wants to know? Where's the crime? Where's the evil act? There is none. But they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult or a riot or an insurrection was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this, what person? This just person. You see to it. So Pilate says, I'm going to wash my hands symbolically in front of you. If he dies and is crucified, you need to accept the blame. Pilate really wanted him to be released. Pilate saw no evil in him at all. Verse 25, And all the people answered and said to Pilate, His blood be in us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. Barabbas goes free. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered Jesus over to be crucified. So just think about that for a moment. Who deserved to die? Barabbas. Who ends up taking Barabbas' place? Jesus. That's an illustration of Jesus being our substitute. Jesus going to the cross and enduring and suffering what we deserve. Barabbas deserved to die. Barabbas deserved to be crucified. But Barabbas goes free. Jesus gets to be crucified in his place, in his stead. So now, they mock Jesus, even when he's on the cross, even when he's being crucified. Notice, if you will, verse uh, 38. Because Pilate puts the inscription over Jesus. He probably didn't know what to write. So Jesus' accusation is simply... This is Jesus, the King of the Jews, written in three languages. Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. And of course, in in the Gospel of John, John points out that, well, when when Pilate put that inscription, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews, the Jewish leaders came and said, no, no, Pilate, you, you can't write that. You can only say that he said or he claimed to be the King of the Jews, but you can't write that he is, ipso facto, the King of the Jews. 
So Pilate just looked at him with a stern eye and said, what I have written, I have written. And I believe Pilate wrote that by the guiding hand of God. This is Jesus, the rightful, appropriate, and blessed King of the Jews. Now we come to verse 38. And here we read about how the uh, uh, Jewish leaders mocked mock Jesus, as well as many others. So then there were two robbers, uh, two robbers that were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed, wagging their heads. So they said very insulting things, things full of contempt and disrespect for Jesus. Verse 40, and this is what they said, saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, verse 41, here's where the Jewish leaders come in. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking with the scribes and the elders, and said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe him. Oh, he trusted in God. Let him, let God deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And even the robbers who were crucified uh, with Jesus reviled him in the same manner. So here are the uh, Jewish leaders. Oh boy. If you're the Christ, come down. If you're the son of God, come down. If God really loves you, let, let God deliver you now. Do you think they'd really believe even if Jesus came down from the cross? Probably not. Jesus is going to do something better. He's going to allow himself to be crucified. He's going to allow himself to become the victim of injustice. He's going to allow himself to become the victim of evil in order that he might conquer evil. Two verses I want to leave with you in closing as we think about what Jesus went through for the likes of us. If you will, just turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. One is in 1 Corinthians, the other is in 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You see, I think these Jewish leaders, the high priests, the council, many of the members of the council, I should say, not all of them probably, many of the scribes, many of the Pharisees, they thought they had God all figured out. They thought they knew what God was doing. They thought in their own, in their own human reasoning, in their own human wisdom, Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah. Even if he was, even if they had the idea that he was the Messiah, they still might not have accepted him. But we come down now to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who, they're coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. God works in ways that seem to us strange or unimaginable. Whoever thought the Messiah would come into the world as, 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 a, as a baby born of the Virgin Mary, growing up like a normal human being. Whoever thought the Messiah would, would just be a very ordinary looking person and end up being crucified. Nobody. But they didn't understand the wisdom of God. God works in amazing ways. And then if you will, just go to 2 Corinthians. One last verse, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Here Paul is discussing how the apostles are preaching the ministry of reconciliation. 
God wants people to be reconciled to himself, and God is working through Jesus to provide the basis for our reconciliation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For God made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, God made Jesus, who never committed any sin, who never did any evil act whatsoever, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God made Jesus go to the cross and be treated like a sinner, to be treated like a criminal, even though he was not a sinner, he was not a criminal. He was absolutely innocent. God allowed Jesus to suffer as a criminal and as a sinner for me, for you, for us, so that we could stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, so that we could also have our lives transformed as the Spirit comes in and works in our lives. So as we enter Holy Week, just think about what God did for you in Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we look back to the suffering of your Son, the Lord Jesus, and we realize it truly was a miscarriage of justice. But we know it was your will and your plan that your Son, the Lord Jesus, suffer as the final and all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins, for which we are forever grateful. Now help us to love you and to serve you and to love and to serve your son Jesus with new passion and with new enthusiasm. To have that desire and that ambition to exalt the name of Jesus, to lift high his name, to lift high his name in the way that we live our lives and the words that we speak and in the actions that we do. Help us to lift high his name in this place, Emmanuel Baptist Church. We ask this in the interest of Jesus' holy name, that glorious name of Jesus by which we are saved. Amen.